0: Hi, Chris Vallotton here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today, and if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvallotton.com. Good evening. Thank you very much. My uh, any insecurities I have are solved and finished, fixed. It's so good to be here. How many of you are first year students? How many of you are second year students? Wow, amazing. We're going to have a fantastic year, huh? It's already, you know, started out pretty crazy. Well, let me pray. Why don't you grab a hand? Holy Spirit, we just ask that you move powerfully tonight among the congregation here, those who are watching by online, we just we pray for you just to touch people deeply. Lord, we pray for you to save people and deliver them and heal them, restore them, promote them, protect them, Lord. We just, we pray for an extraordinary night tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I, I had a really strange thought when we were worshiping. I just, uh, has anybody here ever been hit by lightning? You're in the room, you've been hit by lightning. Would you stand up if that's you? Would you stand up, please? Yeah. Uh, two people? Wow, that's amazing. Do you have any side effects from the? Either one of you have side effects from from that at all? No. Do you? Is that yes? This is yes. This is no. No. Okay. Go. Cool. Stay standing, please. Uh, I felt like the Lord was marking you with lightning. I felt like that lightning would be a. Uh, I saw you like, tattooed on your arm, as an experience that. Not only you survived, but gave you authority and power. And uh, I felt like the scripture, where Jesus said to the disciples, "I saw Satan falling like lightning. I saw you doing so much damage to the devil's kingdom that everywhere you go, there was like a lightning storm. And I believe that your lives are going to be marked with uh, with lightning. And uh, I had a uh, I'll tell you this quick story." Um, I uh, had a season, it was about uh, maybe 18 or 19 months, that every time I traveled, when the when uh, the plane would land, there would be an earthquake. And uh, and I, I landed in Romania, and the Lord's like, there's going to be an earthquake, and there was an earthquake when I landed in Romania. Nothing terrible, no, no damage. And I'm like, what's that mean? And the Lord's like, I'm changing the tectonic plates, the spiritual dynamics of this nation, of this city, this and I feel like lightning's gonna strike at times when you enter a place, a city, and it's gonna be a sign and a wonder that the Lord is anointing you to drive out the demonic forces in that city, in that region. And so uh, just put your hands out right now. Lord, we anoint these two men right now as disciples who do deliverance in a way that Satan falls like lightning. And I release Holy Spirit power on both of you right now. And may you be like the sons of thunder in Jesus' name, like James and John. I release that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So chances that two people in one service been hit by lightning, right? And um, I felt like the Lord wanted to deliver someone from drugs. You're addicted to drugs. Would you stand right now? The Lord's going to deliver you right now. You've been... Addicted for a long time, and the Lord's just brought you here tonight specifically to deliver you and give you freedom. If that's you, I don't have any, chance, any desire to shame you, but I want to see you free right now. If that's you, would you stand up, please? Is there somebody standing? Right there. Okay, would you just uh, put your hands on her right now? Hmm. I want to tell you this story while you're praying for her. I called this man out. This is probably one of the very first times I ever spoke at Bethel Church. And he was sitting at the, in the back row, not as far back as she is, but right in front of that. And uh, it was the last word I gave. And I said to this young man, we'd you stand up, and he stood up. And I gave him this word about being a holy man and that he was a no man, a holy man. I gave him this whole word about nobility and about the uh, Old Testament Nazarites who were dedicated to the Lord. And anyway... I didn't know anything about him. I'd never seen him before, as far as I knew. And about seven or eight years later, this man comes up to me and he says, do you remember me? And I said, no, I honestly don't. He said, eight years ago or seven years ago, however long it was, years, you called me out of the back room on a Sunday night and you said I was a holy man. And out of hundreds of words I've given, I remember that night. I said, I remember that. He said, what you don't know is that I was a heroin addict he said, my friends drug me to the meeting. I'd been a heroin addict since I was 13. And at the time, he was like 36 or eight. And he said, I've never worked a day in my life. He said, I've been in and out of rehabs from the time and in and out of juvenile hall, then rehabs. He said, when you said I'm a holy man, he said, he said I was high that night. And something like, he said, something like electricity hit me. He said, I got instantly delivered from heroin. I got instantly sober.'" And he said, I, I, I've never gone back. He said, I got a job six months later. And then he had a woman with, her, with him. And he said, this is, this, is, uh, this is my wife. He said, Two years ago, I brought her forward. You probably don't remember that. I said, No, I don't. You prayed for her. She had hepatitis, the kind that isn't curable. He said, You prayed for, uh, for her, for, for her hepatitis. And she got totally delivered. She went back to the doctor. They cannot find hepatitis that she's ever had it. And we got married. And I just release right now that same anointing on that young man that night. On this beautiful woman in Jesus' name. That the Lord would completely and totally restore you right now. And he would take away any desire that you have. He'd put a wall of fire around you. And you would be a woman walking in great faith. And Lord, I thank you that even in this condition that you have led this woman by your Holy Spirit. Because of her love for you, you've brought her here. And Lord, you brought her into this family and you've given her the gift of freedom. And Lord, you said, whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. And so Lord, we just release freedom. We release peace in her. We release, Lord, we change her body's chemistry so it no longer needs, even needs that, that drug. And we pray, God, for strength. And Lord, we take away insecurity and rejection and abandonment. We break the power of a childhood trauma. And, uh, and, and, a, and abandonment and rejection and all the other things I see in the Spirit that we won't talk about. And I just, right now, I pray for inner healing right now. In Jesus' name, that you would heal her from the top of her head all the way through her heart, all the way to her toes. That she would know peace. She would know peace right now in Jesus' name. She would know peace in Jesus' name. Some of you might want to just stay and minister to her. That would be great. Amen. Lord, we just pray tonight too for that you would just release revelation in the room as we interact. Amen. 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 Um, last uh week I shared a message um out of an experience I had. I, I wanted to share that again and share a few the rest of the message, at least what I I didn't get to share that night, but I'll, for those of you that weren't there, I'll, I'll just pretend like none of you were there for this first part of it so that you don't wonder what the heck I'm talking about. But on Tuesday, August 30th, 30th, I woke up to an encounter early in the morning and the Lord said to me, give me your ashes. Give me your ashes. And uh. I understood that and we'll read the scripture in a little bit out of Isaiah 61 where the Lord says, I create beauty out of ashes. I want to point out that the Lord doesn't create beauty out of nothing. But he creates beauty out of ashes. I just want to say that Sometimes we spend a lot of time trying to hide our ashes, pretend we don't have them, or spend our life reacting to the ashes of yesterday. But I um, had an encounter with a young mom many years ago. She uh, She came into my office. This is when I used to do counseling, so it had to be like, I don't know, at least 20 years ago. She came into my office and she was really hurting. She had four kids, and uh, I think four or five kids. And her husband had been killed in a car accident. All the kids were little. And he had passed like about three years before. And she came in to ask me if I would pray. And she wanted counsel over a certain thing that wasn't related to that at all. And I had actually never met her before. And so she's telling me this story. But as she's telling me the story... I'm like, have you ever listened but you're not really listening? Not because you're not present, but because something else is going on in your spirit. And I see this woman, and she's telling me like this other, like minor issue compared to what she's been through. And I asked her the question. I said, have you ever mourned your husband's death, which had nothing to do with what she asked for? And she looked at me, And I said, I just saw you with four little kids and I just wondered if you ever actually had the time to mourn your husband's death because you had to be a strength for your children. And she looked at me and started wailing and ended up in my arms. And the whole hour session was just her weeping in my arms. No words. And then she came in again about a week, or two later, I don't know, it's, memory's not great for sure, but it was soon after again, and she cried through that whole session. And then the third time, she was getting well, but Jesus said, bless are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I, I, I feel like, for me, that I remembered that, that woman, I, I don't know if I'd know her if I met her now, but I remember that story. So it had such a huge impact on me. And when the Lord said to me, Give me your ashes, I honestly haven't recounted that story in 15 years. I haven't thought of that story for 15 years. But then I immediately, that morning, early in the morning, recalled that story of that young woman who had to be strong for her four little children and didn't have time to stop to mourn. I was thinking about how soldiers who lose a comrade in the middle of a battlefield in the midst of an intense battle have no time to mourn the loss of their friend because they're in the middle of a fight. And all these things were running through my mind when the Lord said, give me your ashes. And I... For the last year, I have proactively, externally processed about retiring. I, I don't need the money that I get paid here. Bethel takes such good care of us. And the Lord takes such good care of us. And I've been talking about it for months, more and more intensely in the last six months. And I, that night when the Lord said, that morning when the Lord said, give me your ashes, I realized that sometimes we do things that help relieve the pain in our lives. And it's, sometimes we don't realize that what we're saying, doing, processing it's not so much about what we want to do, but it's the way that we think this pain could be over quickly. And I sat with the Lord, and, I, and the Lord just continued, Give me your ashes. And I recalled, so I started to recall to my mind some of the things that I've Experience in the last three years, four or five years, even, that were hard. I'm, I'm an old man, so I, I've been through a lot. I grew up in a really tough home, and um, probably like anybody who's this age, Jesus said in the world you'll have tribulation and I certainly have had a share of it. Somebody asked, you know, you guys don't teach on suffering. I'm like, you don't have to teach on suffering. (laughs) You have to teach on hope. Because you would just live long enough and you love long enough and you have a big enough circle of people around you that you love. you're You're like, well, I haven't been through anything hard. You don't, if you love people and, you, and enough, it doesn't have to be you that goes through it. You know, one of, uh, one of the attributes of love in First Corinthians 13 is love suffers long. So, you know, when somebody that you love is going through something hard, it's as if you're, you know, Jesus said, mourn with those who mourn. I don't think he meant, you know, you walk in the hospital room, you give it a tear and you walk out. I think that you really, when you're carrying people, When you really love people, no one has to teach you about suffering. Yeah. One of the things the Lord told me when one of my family members was suffering, He said to me, "No one should ever suffer alone." You know, uh, you probably know this, but a few several years ago, Kathy was diagnosed with Parkinson's. That was uh, very hard, very tough. By the way, she's doing good. I I should say this you know, like, you know, three weeks ago she went hunting with a bow and killed a bear with a bow and arrow at 74 yards. She is a bad woman. (laughs) Killed an elk the year before. I don't hunt or fish. She has a bass boat. I've said this so many times lately, but you know, if someone breaks into our house. I wake her up and, like, "Go down there and check that out." <laughs> I'll call the police. And uh, so she's not a victim. But nevertheless, when the person that you've spent your life with, that you love more than anyone but Jesus, has a diagnosis like that, let me just say not something that you take lightly. And then, you know, you may not know this, but we had a COVID-19 virus. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I've, I've led things for a lot of years, but I've, I've never experienced anything like that. I mean, the virus itself, of course, but I've never led in a situation where you know the people that you love thank you. I didn't wear Levi's tonight, so I need this. <laughs> well let me just say this, no matter what you did, you couldn't keep everyone couldn't keep anyone happy. And you know while we love we love our church, but half of our church was mad at us half the time and they you know they swap places so sometimes they were happy and these guys were mad then sometimes we made these guys happy and these guys were mad and it was a very difficult very difficult season i remember that our governor decided to close all schools and churches 6 weeks before we graduated 2600 students 70 from 72 nations 967 62 of them were from international were internationals and we had no online platform and we had four days to find one that was not easy and our students were so gracious and so kind they finished school the graduation was they drove through the parking lot as we handed them their diploma Yeah, I mean, it's one thing if you come knowing that's going to happen. It's another thing that if you make this sacrifice, some of our students had been here for three years. And after three years, they got a hand-handed diploma. Um, To say it was uh, hard is an understatement. And every day, the situation changed. And we got colors. I never thought I'd hate the color purple, but (laughs) I think purple was when you couldn't do anything. And then our school went from 2,600 to 1,600 students in 30 days. Which, by the way, if anyone thinks anything about finances, that's $5.5 million. That's half of our income, almost half our income dropped in the school ministry. And, you know, this is just like the beginning of the fun. And on top of that, our our staff rotated in and out with covid with quarantines that were 10 days long and i'm 14 days long at first and if you got covid you were out but if you were like inside their breathing zone you you were out too and we were literally trying to scrap worship teams together and school teams and everybody covered everybody if you were healthy you pretty much led if you weren't uh, it was crazy. And in the midst of that, I got COVID for six weeks and was sick for nine days in bed. Got out of bed just in time to do my grandson's wedding. It wasn't easy. And, you know, it's hard to make the right decisions when you don't know what's, what's going to change tomorrow. And we spent 22 years building a relationship with our city, and I was concerned about our congregation, but our influence Is greater than our congregation and I wanted to make sure that we we honored our city officials in the relationships that we had built for years and years and years and not destroy them in you know in a year virus but you couldn't make anybody happy and we were in the midst of that and then the social justice things began and that was very difficult and we had 37 black uh, people on our staff I say black and not African-American because many of them were not African-Americans, but they were black. And many of them couldn't come out of their homes. We had, we had staff that were so, so traumatized by that event that happened when the police officer killed that, that man, that they literally could not come out of their homes. And, and then we get to do that while we're doing covid while we're trying to make sure that we have our staff paid, while we're trying to defend ourselves from the city that we've loved so well. And about a year and a half into that, Eric and Candace announced that they were leaving. And uh, of course that was hard, the timing was very hard. and Obviously Bill was grieving. And the week that they were supposed to leave, Benny was diagnosed with four-stage cancer. The week they were leaving. So, um, and then obviously 18 months later, we she goes home to be with the Lord. And, you know, and then we decided to build a $100 million building in the middle of it, just in case there's not enough to do. <laughs> and Not enough things to believe for. And that's, you know... By the way, if none of that happened, this is already a pretty stressful job. <laughs> you might not think this is, but this is kind of a stressful job. And uh, if any time, you know, you, you, uh, you have to have the grace of God to stay in a place like this. No, not because of the people, just because there's a lot. Everybody thinks they know what you should be doing. And uh, when you have a job that... You know, I don't know, 75 or 80 people trying to get to you in a day, and you can do 15 of them. You always lay your head on the bed, knowing that more people, there was more people that needed touch than you could possibly touch, unless you were God Himself. And that's just the normal of our job. That's, not, that's without a pandemic, without racial tension. Oh, by the way, in the middle of that, it decided to give this great prophetic word about Donald Trump. <laughs> Let's not forget that. <laughs> that was really one of the joys of my life right there. So, I'm not saying any of this so you'll feel sorry for me, but just to know that I have ashes too. And I, John Maxwell made a statement. He said, when leaders lack confidence, the people lack commitment. And I realized like that woman, that young mother with four children in my office more than 20 years ago, I realized that I didn't have time to mourn. We were carrying a whole movement. We didn't have time to be weak. But something happens in you when you don't mourn. Because Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Mourning is the natural ecosystem of comfort. Our little children know You know, all those. We have two, two young ones right now, three young ones, but two that are just live down the street. And my, my granddaughter Edie can be crying one second, and then she's good. Like she's in a full meltdown over she didn't get the candy or whatever it was she wanted. And literally two minutes later, she's mourned and she's good. On <laughs> Our kids, you know, we used to shut them down and say, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> Come over here, stop crying. Not realizing that when we shut people down, they don't, they don't understand, like there's just the natural process that I weep and then I, I mourn and then I'm comforted. But sometimes we get in situations where maybe, maybe this is you, but where you just don't have the privilege of mourning because of the, the responsibility that you carry. And um, that, day, that morning, the Lord said, Bring me your ashes. And and to be honest, at first I was kind of like, here's a few. (laughs) The Lord's like, bring me your ashes. And I began to bring him my ash heap. I'm like, Lord, I don't have ashes. I have the ash heap. I have all these things that are back here that I haven't had time to even think about. Because these people are my responsibility. Not just mine alone. They are our responsibility, all our leaders. And I felt like the Lord said to me, I make beauty, but it's out of ashes. And if you don't give me your ashes, I can't make it beautiful. And so I began to give the Lord my ashes. Then I realized that my conversations about retiring were not because I didn't think I wasn't supposed to be here anymore but because it made me feel comfortable thinking I could get out of this pretty quickly and I was thinking that I was thinking about maybe you do the same (laughs) maybe your conversation isn't about isn't something the Lord's asking you to do but it's the way you comfort yourself because you have never stopped long enough to actually give the Lord your ashes and we start these conversations like maybe you threaten for divorce not because you want a divorce because, but just the fantasy of not being in this hard marriage gives you peace even though you don't ever plan on leaving. Maybe it's your job. You're like, I'm just going to quit this job when in fact you know God's called you there and maybe you have no intention of quitting but it's the it's the way you're relieving the pressure. Like, I could just leave this job and then I could fantasize about not being here I have to confess that I I have done that very thing I fantasize what it would be like I had two weeks off I don't know a month ago first time I've had off in a while and actually worked probably four days of it just because of where we're at right now but I would just went up we had a little farm I went up to the farm and I would just lay it on the couch there, and I'm like oh gosh Nobody even knows I'm here except for the people who took pictures of me of the wedding. <laughs> Funny story. He had to be there. And I just began to fantasize what it would be like to have no responsibility. Of course, then I said to myself, then you'd have no significance, and then what would you be doing? <laughs> Trying to get a job as a janitor at Bethel. That's what you'd be doing. <laughs> Before we go on, I've done, we did this in four services last week, but I feel again to do it. If you have ashes that you've been carrying, maybe you'd like to stand up and get healed. Don't stand because anyone else stands. It's just a bad plan to do it out of wanting to look like somebody else. I know that pressure so well. Just do it, just stand if the Lord's talking to you like he is me. And maybe you've got those behavior things going on like I do. You're talking, you're externally processing, you're trying to relieve the pressure. And maybe you have no intention of leaving that marriage or doing that thing you're talking about, but it just it's just the way you relieve pressure from the ashes you're carrying. I'd like you just to Close your eyes. I, I don't think there's anything spiritual about closing your eyes. It just helps us to imagine sometimes. And I'd like to just take take your hands and cup them in front of you. And would you just would you just imagine your ashes? I told you what mine are. Would you just imagine your ashes right now? Things you carrying that are they're actually affecting you. Maybe you don't even know it, but they're affecting you. And I want you to imagine that Jesus is standing right in front of you. And he's saying what he said to me that morning. Give me those ashes. Give them to me. And I want you to make a gesture right now. And I want you just to hand Jesus your ashes right now. And I want you to say, Jesus, these are the ashes I know about. (laughs) If there's others, you can have them too. And Lord, I ask you to take something beautiful out of the broken part of my life. I pray for your grace to heal my heart, give me hope, and Lord, and restore these broken things in my life. I have no power to fix these things. And Lord, I know that this prior season has really weighed on my soul. And Lord, I feel so deeply that I need you to restore my soul so that I could live without pain, live full of hope, and no longer live my life reacting to this former season. And I thank you, God, right now. I trust you that over the next days, that you'll begin to heal me, heal my soul, heal my relationships, and give me faith that you're in the midst of this crummy season that I'm coming out of, in Jesus' name, amen. That's a good word. You can sit down. I'm going to read you the scripture that um, I just talked about just a minute ago, and then we're going to move on. Isaiah 61. You know, when I got saved, uh, the Lord gave me this scripture the first year I got saved. I know he may have gave it to you, but I'm older, so then I got it first. <laughs> Two of my grandkids have this scripture tattooed on their arms. I have no tattoos. I don't think that's a great plan, but they do. <laughs> and they have it tattooed on there because they, this is my scripture. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all those who mourn, to grant them who mourn in Zion, give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting, so that they would be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he be glorified. So that's just a good word. I, I'm going to tell you this story. The Lord has... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why people think Bethel's weird, you know? I mean, maybe Bill. I don't, I don't know. But the Lord has spoke to us for years, Bethel, I feel like we have our own like language, you know, like tribes have their own language. Like usually you're, you're talking about like the communication of English or Spanish or some, some language. But I feel like the Lord gives different tribes, like different ways of hearing God. And from the very beginning, since, since I've, I've been here, we, um, (laughs) our language has been birds. Okay, here we go. (laughs) I I know I preached a message about three months ago, Bethel's gone to the birds and I've Told these stories, so I'll I'll tell them briefly. But years ago, Bob Jones came here. It was in 1999, uh, I believe. He came here and he said that he saw three eagles' nests in America, and that we were an eagles' nest, and that we would raise up prophets and prophetesses, and that we were we were the governmental. There was three eagles' nests, and Beth uh, Redding was one of them, and that Redding was the governmental eagles' nest, and we'd raise up eagles and eaglets that would actually go into government. And they would influence the governmental world, and so for a long time we talked about being eagles, and obviously we started school of prophets because of that prophetic word, which we've been doing for 17 years, and we literally have raised up hundreds and hundreds of prophets and prophetesses, and um, and then one day uh, the Lord gave me a prophetic word personally, and He said, We're mo- "You're moving the-, the mascot for Bethel is moving from eagles to owls," and I'm like, "Okay," and the Lord said to me that owls can see in the night. They're nocturnal. Like owls were created for the dark. And the Lord said, I'm going to take this movement into the darkest places of the planet, but I'm making you like owls where you can see through the darkness. And you're wise like an owl. And owls also kill snakes. And here's my favorite one. Owls know Who's who? <laughs> I think that part was the Lord also. And we began to have an owl hoot- hooting outside of our uh, house. And so the first time I ever shared that publicly was uh, at school of um, worship. And I was in the po- at the podium and I was sharing this story. I just had the counter like a week or two before And Jen Johnson ran up to the podium as I finished, as only she can do, so so relaxed and mellow. (laughs) That's not Jen at all. It's totally exuberant. And she said, when I got done saying that, she said, uh, that day or the day before, one of the worship leaders who was leading worship at School of Worship was coming to school, to the school, and a little baby owl was on the road. Uh, I think he lived on a gravel road, and it just and, and he beeped at it, and it wouldn't move, so he picked it up and took it home with him that day. I think it was that day or the day before. And so we just had this whole thing about owls, and then we had a roadrunner. <laughs> I don't know why people think we're a cult. I don't get it at all. And we had a roadrunner that would come to the um, prayer room every time we prayed with a lizard in his mouth, I I know you can't make these stories up (laughs) literally every time we prayed as a matter of fact we started praying towards the window and if you had a prayer meeting where the where the roadrunner wasn't there you're like oh my lord I don't think the spirit is here but he would eventually show up had a lizard in his mouth and then that went on for I don't know eight months or something it wasn't like a week it was months and months and he, would, he were always talking about did you see the roadrunner Day? yeah, he had a lizard in his mouth one time he came without a lizard and we were like, unsuccessful kill and, uh, and then he got, in, the, he got in, in those double doors when one of the uh, janitors one of the maintenance people were cleaning he got in the double doors got disoriented tried to fly out hit the window and died yeah, Bill tried to raise him from the dead and, <laughs> but let me say that roadrunner got a noble funeral I'll tell you that and uh, the Lord told us, we asked the Lord, what did it, what did it mean? Because it was eight months of a roadrunner. Then he died inside. And the Lord said to us that our movement is becoming ingrown. And if it doesn't get out of this house, if this movement doesn't get out of this house and into the streets, in the highways and byways, that it was our movement was going to die. And uh, that very month, we took over a ministry called Frontline Ministries, which we still have the teams that were reaching out in the streets. And that ministry was going... Broken, so we took them over that very month. We made that decision because of the Roadrunner thing. And then about a year ago-ish, um, I looked out my bedroom, I mean, my kitchen window, and there was a peacock out there. Yeah. Now, Kathy thought it was a turkey. <laughs> Big hunter lady, you know, she should know. I, I, no, no, I know. She's, she's saying, I didn't see it. But I said, I saw a peacock this morning, you know, and it went like that. And it's like, you know what I'm saying? Did that thing with this, like that. And she's like, that's not a, she, she didn't see it. But she said, oh, that's not a peacock. It's a turkey. I said, that, that's a freaking peacock. <laughs> so we went around and around. And I'm like, it's a peacock. And I saw it several times. And then my neighbor came over after I preached it on Sunday morning. Said it was a peacock. And he's like, yeah, our neighbors have peacocks. And one got out of the cage and was in his yard. I'm like, see, that was a peacock. I'm right a lot more than she thinks I am. I want (laughs) to tell you that. And I was in Thursday morning, uh, right after I saw it, it might've been that morning or the next morning, I was in Thursday morning staff meeting with with the school. And I was telling them about, I saw this peacock. And when I saw this peacock do that thing with the, it has, you know, eyes on its wings. I asked the Lord what it meant. He said, I'm about to show off in glory. That the next move of God will be in glory. That the glory of the Lord, the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And when I was sharing that story, one of our team said, oh, it was Leslie. She said, I preached about the peacock last week in school ministry. And somebody else said, well, I was here on Saturday for the, uh, and at the prayer rooms, which, you know, there's hundreds of people at the prayer rooms. And there was a little boy, little, I don't know, young boy, dancing right there on stage. And a peacock feather fell from the, the sky, big one, and landed on the ground. And they go, wow, how'd that happen? So they went back and ran it on, on they had filmed it. They, had filmed, they were filming the whole thing. And they looked back and the peacock feather didn't fall from the sky it appeared in the middle of the room and fell. And what no one noticed was over here this gal was artist was painting a peacock. Better than the Trump word I got to tell you that right there. <laughs> and we and we believe that the Lord is Isaiah 60 you know Arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And we believe that this is a season of glory. But we've had this other thing happen <laughs> lately. And it's upstairs where we often meet and pray. A little bird comes. And I thought I was the only one that saw it. it comes to the same window. And it's this little brown, like, you know, it's not a beautiful bird. It's just a bird. And I went up there, and I saw it. and was sitting on the windowsill. It came over and flew on the windowsill. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I happened to be up there a couple days later, and I, I looked out the window, and just as I looked out, it came and flew and landed on the window windowsill. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And, and then it started doing that. Like, I was probably up there 15 times, and every time it flew, and came in the windowsill. And I'm like, what is that? So I said to Ben, Ben Armstrong, you know, he's like an animal lover person. I said, what is that? He said, Oh, that's a bird. I'm like... I'm kind of bird is it he said that's a cardinal it's a cardinal bird and most cardinals are red but I guess the males are red and the the females are brown and uh I was like oh that's really cool and then uh Bill said yeah I saw that cardinal he comes in there every time I pray I thought it was my personal you know like Elijah had the ravens I'm like I got me a brown cardinal that shows up <laughs> anyway it's been doing it it still does it it's been doing it for months and I I looked up the word cardinal and it means hinge like a door hinge and it speaks of this is what it says it speaks it represents a shift in seasons and it means to be blessed and favored and it also means a gate a door between heaven and open heaven and earth have open and so I just really believe, you know, let me say, let me say it this way. You know, when the Lord shows up with a peacock, it's kind of hard to miss. Or an owl, you know, like big, you know, I I think like big birds for big seasons. But then I was reminded that Elijah had this experience where the Lord wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. And sometimes the Lord is in the little bird. It's a metaphor, are you with me? Sometimes the Lord is in the little bird. Sometimes the Lord is in a voice so small that if you don't listen closely, You'll miss it. And I'd like to point out that the most profound words aren't carried by the biggest birds. When Elijah was praying for rain, you'll remember it hadn't rained in three and a half years so bad that cannibalism was happening all throughout Israel. And he went and prayed. And you remember six times he had his servant go look for rain. Was there a cloud? No cloud, no cloud, no cloud. Six times, no cloud. And the seventh time, he has a servant, go look, and the servant came back, and I'm sure the servant was trying to be encouraging. And he goes, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, go and run and tell Ahab. And he begins to run, and he outruns Ahab's chariot, and it begins to pour. My point is, I'm asking you this question. See, sometimes the Lord speaks to us in a way that only the humble and hungry can hear it. And I wanna say two things that are really super powerful to me, but maybe hard to communicate to you. I feel like humility is the way forward. And I feel like humility requires us to look closely To listen intently. Sometimes it's just the little bird. Can you hear it? Sometimes everybody else, you know, you get... I don't think this is a bad thing, but sometimes we get... We're used to the big bird. It's a a metaphor now. The eagle. The roadrunner that isn't... Even, it's not even native to our area. The owl, I mean, something big. And the Lord's like, if you're not careful, you'll miss the powerful thing I'm doing. That's a little, it's announced with a little bird. And I believe that we're in a hinge season that the Lord is closing one door thank God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and he's opening another he's closing one door and he's opening another I, um, I want to read you this Romans 8.31 are you guys okay? I know this is like simple, but I'm just trying to tell you what I feel the Lord's saying for the season. 831, then what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, and more than that, who is raised, and who is the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we have been killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Can you just say more More than conquerors conquerors. through him who loved us? For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else, nor anything anything else in all creation. I so messed that up will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I, I just want to point out a few things before I finish. The one thing is, if you're more than a conqueror, it means that there are things you're supposed to conquer. And I'd just like to point out, in, in all of these things that I shared tonight, that we were actually born to conquer things. Like, it's in our DNA to rise above hard times. Like, we were actually built for this. Like, we are not victims, we are victors. Like, we have... An ecosystem in which we deal with our ashes and what we should have all done, and I'm, I'm the foremost of all, what we should have all done is taken our ashes daily and give, and give them to the Lord so that we don't have an ash heap that we're underneath and that's covering everything we do. And we begin to speak out of our ash heap. I'm speaking of me. That we begin to talk out of our ash heap. We begin to think out of our ash heap. Because we are supposed to be bringing our ashes to the Lord every day. Not hiding them. Not pretend we don't have them. Not pretending like we can do this. We got it. Because God God fertilizes our destiny with our crap. He literally uses our crap to fertilize our destiny. And so, you know, somebody... I love this quote. The brave man... May not live forever, but the cautious don't live at all. And I, I just really believe that the Lord wants to shift the season and he wants us to come with, with hope and with courage to this next season. Not dragging along like, you know, I got PTSD from the last season and I'm afraid something bad is going to happen. And I want to point out that it is the fear of something else happens that, act, that something else is going to happen that actually attracts the thing. that that you live in this ecosystem of faith, and faith, negative or positive, right? Negative or positive actually works for us or against us. Um, Job, let me see, I know I have the scripture here. Job said this, I hope I have it. Job said, the thing that I feared came upon me. The thing that I feared came upon me. Sorry, the scripture isn't there, but it's actually there. You just got to go find it. The thing that I feared came upon me. And what I'm getting at is that fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. When we fear, and I've sh- shared this so many times, I, uh, you know it feels redundant, but you know if, if a little boy comes up and says, I'm going to beat you up, it, I'm not afraid because I don't believe him. If some big guy comes up and says, I'm going to beat you up, I have anxiety. Why? Because I believe him. What I'm getting at is you can't have fear without faith. Because fear is faith, but it's in the wrong kingdom. And what I'm getting at is that part of the side effects of carrying our ashes into each season is that we begin to anticipate, get me? Anticipate is a fruit of faith. We begin to anticipate something else is going to happen. I remember in the middle of, we, just, we, we were in COVID and then we had Black Lives Matter and all of that, trying to navigate that well with nobility And I just remember saying to Kathy, what else could happen? Then I thought, don't ask because something else will. And I feel like in my own life, I feel like that I was attracting more crap because I'd wake up with this foreboding spirit. Foreboding means an impending sense of doom. And I began to anticipate that something else was going to happen. And sure enough, something else would happen. And I, I'm not saying that if I didn't think of, if I didn't have a foreboding spirit, nothing would happen. I'm just pointing out that I'm actually feeding my fears with my faith. Are you, am I making any sense to anyone else? And I'm like, we, one of the worst things that happens when, when we go through a crisis is not the crisis, but the attitude and the anticipation that it creates for tomorrow. That pretty soon we're we're looking at tomorrow through the ash sheep of last of the last season and wondering why this the season that we went through becomes a lifestyle. Oh, okay, let me say it differently. Remember that Psalms twenty three. Probably most people in here almost have that memorized. The Lord is my shepherd, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. restores my soul. And I memorized this in King James. In King James it says, "Yea, though I walk through the valley of death. We know that's not a good translation because nobody freaking says yay <laughs> when you're going through the valley of shadow of death. Unless you're an idiot. But he says, Lie down, sits by the still waters, lie down in the green pastures. But when he gets to the valley of the shadow, he says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow. And my point is, is that you can't avoid tribulation, but you certainly can make a lifestyle out of it. You can make a lifestyle out of tribulation by doing what you did in the last season. I sat by the still waters, I was you know, in the green pastures, and then I decided to camp and build a home in the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm like, no, no, keep going. Keep going, are you with me? And then, do you ever notice that the next scene is that he sets a table before me? Did you get that? What's the rest of that verse, though? In the presence of my enemies. Uh, What I'm getting at is that if you are demon conscious, you can't even have a meal with the Lord in peace because you see who's watching you. And I'm saying it's an honor to have him, the devil be a guest at your kitchen table while you sit at the Lord that you while you feast with the Lord I I said that wrong but what I'm getting at is (laughs) you have you ever been in a season where you're demon conscious I have there's a demon under every rock I remember I got delivered three and a half years of torment I finally got delivered and after I got delivered from demonic spirit, I mean, I actually had a deliverance. You know, you were a Christian and you possessed by demons. And I wasn't possessed by demons, but I was oppressed. Well, that wouldn't be me. Well, why do you have armor if you're not in the battle? I don't know. Christians say stupid things. Devil, devil can't attack me. Well, maybe you're not doing anything attackable. I know, I see Christians all the time, spiritually in swimming suits, like, I'm doing good, you're not doing anything worth resisting. (laughs) I live in peace, you live in peace because you carry no responsibility. devil don't want to mess with you because you might actually get upset and do something. I love Bill's point, he said, if you don't run into a demon once in a while, you might be going the same way. But when I'm pointed out, when I'm, sometimes when you get free, then you think everything's a demon. Oh, I have a bad relationship with that person. I said, the demon's got him. <laughs> my wife's mad because I didn't pick up my underwear and she's got a evil spirits on her. <laughs> <laughs> everything's a demon. There's a demon under every rock. It's like, had a bad thought. Demon. <gasps> <laughs> Those Christians, they're like, they're always running. From, uh, pray for me, bro. Pray for me. What's wrong? Uh, the devil's after me. I'm like, there's something wrong with this role. He was defeated on the cross. He has no authority. You have all authority. And somehow you're afraid of him. Do you know the only reason that the Lord put the devil and you on the planet at the same time? at the same time, in the same place, is not for him to torment you, but for you to torment him before he gets thrown in the lake of fire. Uh, I'm just pointing out that you were born for battle, you were born to win, you were born to be a victor, not a victim. And I just told you that I ended up in the ash heap and I'm saying we end up in ash heaps and we don't mourn and give the Lord our ashes as we go through things and we go wait three years like me and they're like, here's my ashes, but I got to back a dump truck up and go, here's my, oh, you wanted my ashes, hang on, I'll be back. I mean, collecting them out there in the ash heap. You know, you get to a place, you wonder how you even survive carrying all that crap around. But I'm telling you, you should see the garden I'm growing now. I, mean, I got enough that I, you know, manure, I could plant a forest. By the way, that was Job 3.35, the scripture I was supposed to tell you about. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9.24, are you guys okay? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that all those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may win. I want to point out that we are not training to be runners. We're training to be winners. We're not training to be runners. We're training to be winners. I'm supposed to run in a way that I beat you. It's my goal. (laughs) If you're in my race, you can be second, but I'm going to be first. I'm training to be first. That's supposed to be funnier than it came out. But anyway. (laughs) You know, sometimes we do things that are necessary in hard times. They're actually giving birth to the next season. And sometimes what we think are ashes, God thinks is the sperm for the next season. Is the impetus for the next season. I was thinking about story. I like Elon Musk, by the way. Don't send me any nasty. No, no, no. I don't. I <laughs> truly don't want to hear it. I truly don't want to hear it. I've heard all all of it already. But I, I love Elon Musk. I, I'm praying, obviously, for Jesus encounter. But I, I I love him. I love leadership, and I I I love his brain. I love that he has one. <laughs> I love people who think out of the box. I've been spending the last 20 years trying to get Christians to think like, whoo, whoo, and you know, and they keep like, is that in the Bible? <laughs> it's not not in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, air conditioning is in the Bible, but you seem to turn it on and enjoy it, all right? <laughs> it's the way people have this weird, really weird way they relate to the kingdom, like, so in the Bible, I don't believe it. <laughs> okay, I hope you don't use a hairdryer or an oven or electricity. But I was uh, watching, an inter- did I say this? I was watching an interview with Elon Musk. And um, he was, the interviewer was saying, I heard that you slept for three and a half years on the floor of your production plant in Fremont, your Tesla production plant. And I'd like to know if that's true and why you did it. And he said, Yeah, we were. He said, I was down to just a few million dollars left, had very little money left, and Tesla was about to go bankrupt. And he said, I, he said, I, so I decided that the situation was so desperate that I needed to show my team that. There's no way that they're more committed to the success of this business than mine. So I put a sleeping bag on the floor, the production floor, and I slept there for three and a half years. And uh, he said, "So that they would know that I'm I'm in the fight with them." And I started to cry. And I know I know from this man's mouth that he does at this point doesn't know Jesus, but I thought that is brilliant leadership that if you, Bill said, if you want your people to bleed, you better hemorrhage. And sometimes, the things the Lord calls us to, that we think are ashes, the Lord goes, that's beautiful. We're like, Lord, these ashes, I slept on the production floor for three and a half years and the Lord said, you inspired a movement. And I think some of what I'm trying to say is this, some of, what we think is ashes, the Lord goes, no, I led you to do that. That was a beautiful act of sacrifice and that is not part of your ash heap. That's actually part of the the gold, (laughs) silver, precious metals. That's part of what you'll get credit for in heaven. And I want to say that there are things that you have done in sacrifice that were hard and you think they were part of your trial. And the Lord's like, no, they're part of your reward. And I, I want to say that tonight, I feel, I didn't share this before, but because I'm just getting it now, but I feel like the Lord is saying to many of you, what you counted as an ash heap, I counted as a treasure. What you counted as a problem, I have actually awarded to you treasure in heaven because of what you sacrifice. And I just want to say to all of you that the Lord remembers your sacrifice the things you did in secret the things no one knows about the conversations you had the people you reached out to and oftentimes it's the little birds in our life that nobody knows about that the lord has given us the greatest reward over i'll just uh finish now i'll finish Why don't you stand? I have this uh, strong impression that there's two people in this room that are going through a divorce, and the Lord said, He's not in the divorce. Now, I have a couple of kids who've been through divorces, so you understand there's no condemnation in this. But I want you to know that the Lord says He's going to restore your marriage. There's two people in this room, and there's one person that's going to watch this two weeks from now on video, and the Lord says, He's not in your divorce. And this is what the Lord told me that the two people in the room and for the person that's going to watch later, humility is the way forward. And you having to be right is killing your marriage. And if you'll humble yourself, if you'll both humble yourself, the Lord will not only restore your marriage, but you'll be a model of what God can do with brokenness. And so I just want to bless that right now. If anybody's bold enough that wants to raise their hand, you can do that and I'll pray for you right now. You don't need to. There's one, there's two right here. So Lord, more over there. Well, Lord, I just release right now this word over them in Jesus' name that the Lord would heal your marriage, that he would restore your soul, that he would uh, break the, um, the um, uh, and one of them, there's been unfaithfulness, and I just feel this conviction of the Lord on, the, on that person, and I see the a restoration happening even uh, at midnight tonight. And Lord, I just release right now this prophetic declaration over these people that you would restore their marriage. I pray that that phone call would come right before midnight tonight and it would be a, it would be a, a call of repentance, a call of true transparency and honesty and a restoration of these, of these families, Lord, even more than three. We just pray, whoever raised their hand, Lord, said, I have faith for that. My marriage is in trouble. Uh, we, say, we say yes to that too. We say yes to even the ones the Lord wasn't speaking of. He's speaking to you too. Lord, we just we pray for a total restoration of that. In Jesus' name, we release that over them right now. Thank you, Lord. And there's somebody in a lawsuit over here. And the Lord, is, uh, restore, uh, he's going to bring justice. Isaiah 59, he's going to bring justice to victory. And uh, he's going to close this case before the month is over. And so I just released, is there somebody here who wants to say they're in some sort of a lawsuit? Okay, who is that? There's somebody over here. Where? Here? Okay, bless you. And Lord, we release that right here for him in Jesus' name. That you would bring justice to victory. In Jesus' name, that you would be the judge and the jury. And Lord, that you would uh, render him uh, innocent. In Jesus' name. There's somebody over here, though, right over there. Is there someone else that's in a lawsuit over here? Okay, can you raise your hand, please? Okay, Lord, I just release the same right here. Justice, in Jesus' name, I pray for a complete closure of this case that keeps going on and on like a merry-go-round. And I just break the merry-go-round right now, in Jesus' name. And I pray for justice to come to victory and for you to be found innocent and you to be found this is like an awarding of uh, Matthew, uh, Luke 18, the judge and the widow. And I just pray in Jesus' name that it would be found in, in, uh, in your favor and justice would be rendered for you in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.